KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. One, two, three, Hello there. Hello there. How My are poor you? sick friend. Oh, no, I'm like more sad about missing the weekend with you guys than I am about even having a, this cold or flu or whatever the heck it is. Except the reason you missed the weekend that we were meant to have together is because you are sick, so you're yeah. allowed to be sad. <laughs> was separate it was like I'm sick and we're not coming you didn't you weren't able to come so for anyone that has no idea what we're talking about we've just had the long weekend uh that we have in I wonder is this Queen's birthday so I'm assuming it's Australia wide yeah uh, this long weekend and we had booked to go away we always say we're gonna go and do something on the weekend and then it never we never do it so we're like that's it this time we're gonna book somewhere we're going to treat ourselves and we're going to go and have a beautiful weekend away. And we did that. But then you and Josh got a very bad case of the flu and you've yeah. been home and Dalton and I went and it was, it was beautiful. It was it so nice. Very nice. But so I, the whole time I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad. You're not here. And also oh obviously God, missed you. No. It was like a combination of missing and then feeling bad. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's not your fault we were sick. No, it was, it was a very, very big shame, but I'm so glad that you guys were still able to go and just relax. It looked so beautiful. We'll just have to go another time. But Yes, um, we do. And I'd never, I haven't been to, so my auntie lives in Apollo Bay. So we used to go up, my auntie and uncle and cousin, we used to go up there all the time when we were younger. And I haven't really been on the Great Ocean Road very mm. much since then. Mm. And it is just so beautiful. It's such mm. a beautiful place in Victoria. Anyway, highly recommend. There's a lot of places to stay on the Great Ocean Road. There's a big, <laughs> big stretch. We stayed in Wye River, which is 20 minutes further from Lawn. Um, and yeah, it was just so, so beautiful. Yeah. It looked very, very nice. I was like waiting for you to share some stuff over the weekend. And then I was like, knowing Lawsy, she's feeling so bad about us not being there that she's not going to go on social media. (laughs) So I really hope that it was just like some sort of social media cleanse and it wasn't. No, I did. I just didn't go on. No, okay, no, no, no. I did. I did post, but I did. I just did took stuff, took photos. And then on the yeah. way home, I uploaded stuff. Yeah. Good, good, good. Cause I was like, mm, I hope that's not the <laughs> Oh, but I mean, yeah, for Josh and I, I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed because like, I just feel like this last, cause we've been sick now for a week. You have. I've, I just felt like it was COVID times. I mean, it's still COVID times. That's silly to say, but I mean, it felt like we were back in isolation because we were isolating because we've got the flu and it's really bad this season. So we were at home and we haven't seen anyone and couldn't do anything. And it was just kind of like, it was so sweet. My mum messaged me before the weekend and she was like, you know, I know you're like at home, but like, here's a list of things you can do together. And it was all, it's all that stuff that like just took us back to isolation. And we were just like, oh, that's really cute. But like, no like oh my god did she so your mom wrote you a beautiful list and yeah and it was nice it was very nice no I really appreciated it but it just like it took us back and we ended up regretfully we I I mean I ended up turning my phone off on Sunday night because like it got to a point where 
we just felt like we were right back in the thick of isolation, that we were so bored that we were just like on our phones a lot. Obviously not when Harvey's around because you literally can't be on your phone when he's around because he just he now has tantrums because he wants it. So it's kind of good. It's like taught me to like not be on my phone around him because I can't stand the way he acts when I've got it in my hand. So that's good. But like when he as soon as he was down for any nap or at night, we were just straight on our phones because we were just so bored and trying mm. to like live through everyone else's lives. But now I just feel like well, that I just it just feels like a waste of a long weekend. Do you know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. Whatever. 100%. I'm over being sad about it. It's gonna no, be I know, a good but week. It is, it's true. I think when getting sick now will be different than before because of the we you know what we went whatever I went through in 2020 yeah. and 2021 with isolation when we weren't sick. Yeah. That it's like triggering of because that time was really hard for everyone, right? So it's like yeah. and yeah, I totally agree. Sometimes when I'm, I mean, obviously not this weekend, but when I'm really bored and I'm on my yeah. phone, I just get this, like, it's this weird scrolling headache of like, oh, yeah. I just wasted so much time and what did I yeah. even do? And I feel shit and I'm just, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. So, but I think oh. it's also just that like back in the day, obviously, unless you were really, really, really sick, you wouldn't really isolate. Right. And so like when, when we were at home in COVID, like we all kind of got excited that first time around and, and watched movies and like made the most of this downtime and loved, like lived it up and really loved it. And then it became like this, it was just a bit of a novelty, but like now it's like, if you get stuck at home, it's, you just hate every moment of it because it's like takes you back there anyway. So yeah, the novelty of like slowing down, I mean, especially as a parent, you can't really like, you can't just, <laughs> oh, just can't like just, lounge on the couch and do like, nothing. Yeah. That's so hard. And so in um, this time of your yes. uh, weekend, apart from recommending not scrolling, love it, yeah. <laughs> do you, did you have anything to recommend to us? Yeah, no, actually I we watched a movie last night and Laura, you're going to love it. I, I mean, unless you've already seen it, you might've already seen it because I hadn't heard about it, but it came out in 2019 and we just randomly came across it. I think it was on Netflix last night and it's called The Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, I've never heard of it. And it's got your favourite, uh, Dakota Johnson. <gasps> and I think his name's Shy. He was in the first Transformers. Mm, anyway, Transformers. really beautiful movie. Oh, I had to watch it. Yeah, really. we really loved it. It was really nice. Love it. Um, Good recommendation. So yeah. And my yes, special yes. share this week is actually a movie as well. Nice. What did you watch? It's called Inceptor. Why oh, yes. do I say it like that? Inceptor. Why? Inceptor. And That's the one the with um, Steph said, Elsa. oh, yes, is because we've actually already recorded this intro <laughs> and I don't know what the heck happened to my audio, but it was a disaster. So we're re-recording it. You have a fresh special share. Mine's still the same. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> but, so it's with Elsa Pataki and it is a th- – okay, it's a thriller for me. For anyone that gets really anxious mm. watching scary TV, this one is a safe act- – well – Sorry, for my level of worry, because it is the most predictable, because I like to Google what happens in scary movies. It's really not scary. And anyone that loves scary movies would watch this and be like, this is not scary. It's just an action movie. It's an action movie, but it's predictable as they come. And I yeah. loved it. Yeah. So yeah. highly recommend to anyone that loves predictable endings. Yeah. I, it was actually funny. It popped up and Josh was like, hey, isn't that Elsa, Chris Hensworth? And I was like, yeah, Lawsy actually recommended this one on the podcast. And he was like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, she said it's really predictable. And then he just scrolled next. <laughs> and Chris Hemsworth is in it and he plays a really – Elsa is the 
queen of the movie and then Chris mm. Hemsworth plays a really funny character. Nice. Bit random. But anyway, that is that. Is that. Uh, so, yes, kind of recommend, depending if you like watching things like I like, yeah. then maybe yeah. you'll like it. Anyway, moving on. So this week, Sefi, tonight, yes. what are you doing? I mean, providing I'm feeling up to it. The live is happening regardless, but we have got a live with Leo, one of our Power Pilates sessions, which is actually today's Power Pilates session for the workout in winter week two, Wednesday workout. It's that session, but we thought we'd do it all together. And so it's a 15 minute class. And because it's a live and we didn't want the live to just go for 15 minutes, there's going to be a little extra challenge burner by Leo. So if you would like to join us on the live, you're all welcome. Um, You can check out the info in our show notes. I'd love to see you there. Amazing. Love it. And if you can't make it, don't worry because it is the exact masterclass that is in your planner for today. So you can do it at home. Exactly. But obviously extra fun on the live. Not the yeah, I don't know. There's something fun. about doing it all together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Providing you're feeling okay, obviously. Yes. <laughs> that is the most important thing. So now for today's conversation, Steffi, you were very sick at this point. You didn't actually have a voice. So I did this interview and, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because I didn't speak. <laughs> the interview is all about Rachel, who was our guest. Rachel is one of the co-founders of Francesca Jewelry, which is a beautiful Australian jewelry brand. And Rachel came on today to very, very generously share her story with human trafficking. Mm. Rachel, this is the first time she's ever spoken about it on a podcast and the reason that she wanted to speak about it, first of all, she's very passionate about raising awareness about human trafficking. The stats are extremely scary and Francesca Jury do some amazing work in raising money to help. Um, and very, very sadly, Rachel and her sister were on a buying trip in Hong Kong and Rachel's sister, Hannah's drink was spiked. And Rachel shares today her story with this For everyone listening now, we do want to put a trigger warning on this episode. We do go into the details of what happened to Rachel's sister, Hannah, uh, in regards to human trafficking. So if this episode, if it sounds like it would be triggering for you, we recommend not listening. But I just wanted to say before we get into it, the biggest thank you to Rachel for being so vulnerable. And in sharing this story today, she had to revisit um, everything that, that she went through. So we are so grateful that she came on to spread awareness of how scary the human trafficking industry is and, and what to be aware of. Um, and here is Rachel. Rach, welcome to the Kickbot. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We're so excited to have you. And Steph is unfortunately not here because she is unwell. I know, the poor thing. Get well soon. <laughs> yes, so she'll have to listen back to this one. Um, so, Steph, we miss you. But anyway, we this I'm, as much as we miss Steph and, like, it's not about Steph and me today, <laughs> it's about you. Um, so to start off with, we would love to know um, a little bit about you. So tell us about you. Uh, a lot of our listeners will know you from your beautiful jewellery brand and incredible work you do with Francesca. But tell us about your business and you and everything, yeah. everything you can. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I'm Rachel. I am the creative director and co-owner of Francesca Jewellery. We are a Tasmanian-based jewellery company, but we've got a beautiful store in Melbourne now. Um, our, you know, our entry into the jewellery world was completely hilarious because it was a hobby down at the Salamanca markets and absolutely... Was n- yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yep. And you, it's just, it's crazy, the success that you've had. So you, you started, I mean, we all have to start somewhere. Yeah, it was so funny. So it actually started because my sister was like a highly 
over the top child and my mum was just like how the heck are we going to calm this kid down like <laughs> someone help me anyway she enrolled Hannah into a beating class when she was 12 years old Be- beating oh my yeah, god beating, beating. oh my like, god beating boxing? <laughs> beating beating okay yes oh uh, you still are in the mindset of like all things activities um no beating um and so yeah she learned all of the skills for beating and then it was a hobby and then we moved to Tasmania like halfway through our childhood and we uh, finished schooling down there and yeah Hannah Started the Salamanca Markets as just like a one day a week hobby to um, support her throughout uni. Um, She was studying law and science and I was still at school. There's a six year age gap between us. So yeah. And then as soon as Hannah graduated, I was um, graduated law. Um, I was graduating school and I was like, let's take a gap year, figure out what, you know, life's all about. And then that gap year is like a 10 year gap year now and I'm still in the business and Hannah gave up law and science. And yeah, we're really passionate about what we do. Amazing. Probably not a gap year in terms of you've no. you've had a lot of success. <laughs> I feel yeah. like it's now your. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's been a bit. It's of not a wild gap ride. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is that is just amazing. And what about the? Because you do so much. You've donated a lot. Is it a million? It's nearly a million. Yeah, dollars. Amazing. Yeah. Can you tell us about the charity work you yeah. do with Francesca? So early on in our journey, Hannah and I, I can still remember the moment in our totally makeshift office. I was like, I sat there and I looked at Hannah one day and I was like we sell jewellery and it just felt so mundane and I was like there has to be more to what we're doing. I think we were about uh, four years into our journey and you know we'd built the brand up. It was still very baby at this stage. I think we had maybe like two employees. And And what do you have now? uh, Just over 60. Amazing and they're all are they all in Melbourne? So between Melbourne and Hobart so we've got a big head office in Hobart and then our Melbourne team is slowly growing. It's more of the creative side of the company so marketing, graphic design, PR so it's all of my team which is really cool um but yeah Tassie's where the heart of it is so yeah early on we kind of decided we needed to kind of put a structure around what success looked like for us because we knew we were going to keep going with Francesca but we needed to have a heart behind it and we kind of came to this line which is kind of at the heart of Francesca which is success means nothing unless you're giving back and so we had had a few charities come towards us being like, can you donate a bracelet or a necklace for our raffle or whatever it was? And we were like, you know what would be awesome? If we created a handmade bracelet in Tassie and we called it the Awareness Bracelet and every month we aligned with a beautiful charity. We donated $20 from every bracelet to go towards that charity. So over time, that bracelet has, yeah, donated close to a million dollars to Australian charities. And then we do have a, a really strong partnership with Be Her Freedom which we'll talk about, you know, later in the podcast, they're anti-human trafficking charity based in Hobart and we give 100% of the sale price towards uh, fighting human trafficking. Oh, amazing. It's, so how many of the bracelets have you sold? Oh my gosh, I'd have to do, do the, you know? the mass. I don't Just know. Just a lot. A lot. That's yep. incredible. So yeah, a lot, a lot of bracelets and they're all handmade in Hobart, which is incredible. Um, we've got a refugee team there of women who came to Australia from Eritrea and they couldn't speak English and they had no jobs, you know, available to them because they couldn't integrate into society well, um, not being able to speak English. So we took them on board and they now speak fluent English and they beat all of our bracelets. So there's like giving back at the heart of all that we do and it's a beautiful little community. Oh, that's fantastic. It's, it's so incredible. The other thing that we're so grateful to have you on the KickPod for today is you being very generous in you sharing your story of, of what you went through and you kind of touched on it before, but obviously you 
you went on a buying trip to yep. Hong Kong and I'm what happened obviously is just you would never have, have dreamed or expected or of course not dreamed but just even thought that you know your worst nightmare I, I would say happened yep. on, on that buying trip. Can you take us back to the start of that buying trip? So what year was it in? What yeah. what was what were you what was the purpose of it? You know, what collections were you looking yeah. for? Um, and then you know what what happened from there? Yeah, so disclaimer, I have literally not shared this story publicly at all and it's something that's like taken many years to kind of come to terms with. And to this day like I was sitting here before this podcast being like did that actually happen or did it, is it like a part of my imagination? Because it is so crazy and reliving the experience through conversation is really traumatic, but it's such an important message. I'm so glad that you've got me on to talk about it. But yeah, so it was 2016. We were still babies in the business. Um, so how in 2016, so that was how many? That's six, no, yeah, six years ago. You were 21. Okay. Yeah. And so you still were 27. Yeah. And the, the business was how old? Like four so, years old? Yeah, we coined it 2011 is our, okay. you know, the birth of Francesca. So yeah, very young in business, very young at heart and in age in general. So five, five years into the business journey. Yeah. And had you been on many buying trips before? I had personally only been on one before, but Hannah had been on maybe like two or three. Um, I was just too young at the time and Hannah was, you know, really like leading the way in that in terms of like finding our suppliers and our manufacturers over there. Um, so yeah, it was 2016. It was my first ever trip to Hong Kong. I was so excited. Um, and it was a really successful trip for the first five days of it. Um, pretty much what we do is we go over to the World Jewelry Fair. It is the most epic place you've ever been into in your whole How entire life. How many stalls are there? I've been to oh, the health food gosh. one in LA, which has yep. like 8,000 stalls. Oh, it would is be it similar? similar? Yep. It's like the Hong Kong Convention Centre. It's like you get lost. There are so many little stalls um, and you walk through these places and there's literally like 10 carat diamonds sitting in these cabinets. It's just like your mind is blown by it. It's such an exciting time of year for us. And we go over there to choose all of our stones for our bracelets that we beat in Hobart. So it's a really like creative, exciting time of year and it's like our highlight. Anyway, so in 2016, we're there. We've had a really successful trip. And then on day five of our trip, we've wrapped up everything to do with the business. And we're like, let's go out for a really bougie dinner. Like, let's treat ourselves. And we we're like, yay. So we went out for a beautiful dinner. And then at the end of the dinner, we were like, you know, it's still, you know, very early in the evening. Let's ask the waiter where a really fancy cocktail bar is. And I was like, oh, what could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he suggested this place and, you know, were you we in the city? Like, was it in the, the city part? of? I, mean, I don't know a lot about Hong Kong, but it yeah. was, a busy, was it a busy area? Super busy area, like the total like business district of Hong Kong. And, you know, there are so many different people in Hong Kong. It's like the business hub of the world. You kind of just feel like it's, you know, a bigger version of Melbourne. It's like you feel very safe. You feel everything's very normal. Um, anyway, yeah, so we, we finished dinner and we headed off to this beautiful, not so beautiful, bar. And yeah, that's kind of where the nightmare started unravelling. And what time was that? I don't, I can't, actually can't recall what time it was. I think it was about 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. So okay. that's, yeah, that's when it all went downhill. So you got to the the bar at about 10. Yeah. And then what happened? So you walked in. Yeah. So got a drink. So pretty much the funniest part of this story is that when the waiter said to us, you should go to this bar, but good luck unless you're someone famous or, you know, a model or, you know. Oh, so it was a very affluent bar. Okay. Very, very well-known. Like a Said to be, yeah, said to be the it bar of Hong Kong from this waiter. 
Anyway, so Hannah and I were like, cool, let's, you know, give it our best shot. We get there. It all seems really lovely. It's, you know, placed up on this cliff. It's a really beautiful setting. There's no rowdiness going on. It doesn't feel like anything crazy. Anyway, Hannah and I have a drink and that's all really well and good. And then we're like, oh, yeah, we'll have another drink. And this is where the craziest part of it all is because this is like where I feel like there were just angels watching over us because I had literally taken my second glass from the bar and Hannah had what were you, also. Was it a cocktail or something? No, it wasn't. It was a gin and tonic. I okay. still remember. Um, anyway, so I'm holding this gin and tonic and I had this overwhelming sense of you don't want to drink that. And wow. it just does not make sense at all. And I literally, it was like I wasn't in control of my body and I put the drink down on a table and I just walked away from it. I'm like, in what world does that make sense? Buying a drink. Because the other drink you bought, you drank, the yeah. one before that you felt fine yeah, about. And, and you wasn't, fine. and then you went to buy another drink. So it wasn't like you were like, I'm done drinking. No, it was like literally instantaneously I held the drink and I was like, absolutely not. It was like, wow. yeah, it was so bizarre. Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. I put popped it down on the table and I kind of, you know, was walking around. I was on my phone. It was a very relaxed setting nothing crazy and then um yeah I looked up from my phone and that's when my heart just sank because I looked over at Hannah and she was on the floor like in a bar setting like you just what the heck so so she was it busy the bar it was relatively busy by this time but it wasn't like you could absolutely see her she wasn't you know amongst a sea of people she was like out on the veranda because it looks out over the cityscape it was Mm. absolutely beautiful Um, And she was laying there on the ground and my instant thought was, oh my gosh, she's having a medical episode. Like, had she had, if we go back a tiny bit, did the drink, when you got your GT and you felt like, I'm not going to drink this, did you have her, the other drink in your hand, which was hers? Or she'd got... She had got it at the same time. We went up to the bar at the same time. Yeah. So she had grabbed hers from the bar. But then she went and drank it and then you kind of detoured and put yours down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so then you look over and, and you see... You see yeah, her. Yeah. And I actually think during this whole time, I had gone off to the bathroom or something. She had been on her own. And I it genuinely feels like maybe five minutes. And whether or not, like, you know, I got caught up in the moment I was on my phone or whatever, and I just didn't wasn't paying attention to her for a while. But, yeah, I came back out and I see her laying out there, you know, on the ground. And I run over to her and I'm like, what the heck is going on mm-hmm. here? Anyway, I I grab her and she's just an absolute dead weight. She's, you know, foaming at the mouth. And I come from a family who has had experience in a lot of, you know, medical issues. And my first response was, oh, my gosh, she's having a seizure. Like, there's something really medically wrong here. Anyway, I grab her and she's just completely limp. She's not moving. She's just absolutely out to it. And not once in my, like, mind did I think she's been spiked. And that's the craziest thing because the setting was so, you know, not in that Mm. realm of even thinking anyone would spike your drink so yeah that's when I kind of started to panic slightly but you know something else kicked in and I was like okay I've got to help her I don't know what to do I was 21 years old I I was gonna say so you're you're 21 this is the first time you've ever been to Hong Kong the first time you've ever been on a buying trip and your sister your big sister who's six years so 27 year old sister you have to help her exactly and that's the hardest thing because it's kind of like you think no this is like something someone older needs to deal Mm. with like if it was me she could like I know she'd be so capable of what to do and I was sitting here and I was like okay collect yourself you know this is happening and you need to help her right now so 
my first instinct was, okay, I need to call an ambulance. Question, because your sister is on, like, obviously in front of a lot of people having this, like, having foaming in her mouth mm-hmm. and, and on the ground, was were, was anyone else around, like... Okay, this is the worst part so, of Because you'd think if that was in Australia, for example, <laughs> it would be like everyone would be standing around in a circle. Yep. There'd be pe- – who's the doctor? Yeah, so exactly. What was, so that wasn't the case. No, and this felt like I was – you know, this is the one moment I felt so foreign to Hong Kong and I was like – Oh my gosh. And that did go through my mind. I was like, if this was in Australia, I know that if anyone even fell over on the street, people will run and they will help you. And I, you know, when I looked at Hannah, I was like, are we invisible right now? It genuinely felt like we were completely invisible. I'm talking bar staff were walking past. I was trying to like hail them down being like, excuse me, excuse me. Like, can you help me? And they would just keep walking past me. And I was going, I was sitting there like, what is going on? Like, how can someone help me right now? Anyway, I would grab out my phone and I was like, okay, I need to call an ambulance. And I was like, shit, like, how do I call an ambulance? Like, I don't have the number. I've got no idea how to even call an ambulance in Hong Kong. So I saw someone who looked like a local. At this stage, Hannah's still lying there. Mm. Like, she had a skirt on. I'm trying to, like, pull her skirt down to like save her dignity, like trying to hold on to her and keep her on her side. Also yell at someone being like, can you please call an ambulance? And this is the worst part of the story. I gave my phone to someone being like, please call an ambulance. They grabbed my phone and they kept walking. They stole your phone? They stole my phone. Like unbelievable. And I, in that moment, I remember just feeling so alone and like, what, like what's going to go on from after this? Like I don't have any contact back home. Like, and I didn't even in that moment feel like I could ring home because I was thinking they're all asleep. I need to just ring, you know, an ambulance right now because this is like an emergency, you know, that's your first thought. Anyway, so eventually these two French guys came over to me and naturally, you know, you really want help. How long had it been when they came over? Probably about five to ten okay, minutes. Okay, so quite a, and that probably would Felt have... like a year. Yeah. Yeah. Felt like a really long time. Anyway, so these two guys came over to me and they were like, are you okay? And I kind of, in that moment, I was had to like use a lot of discernment to be like, oh, am I going to let these two men help me? Or, you know, they might be really bad people. I've got no idea, but I was so desperate. That I was like, yes, I need help. Um, my sister, like, I don't know. And at this point I was like, maybe she has been drugged. I was like, I think maybe she's been drugged or something. Um, I really need an ambulance. And so they actually called the ambulance for me, which was incredible. Um, Meanwhile, everyone else around was just going on with their lives. It was insane. From there, ambulance was called. We were up on the clifftop, like I said, and we just kept seeing them drive past. So they had no idea. The ambulances obviously had no idea how to get us from up on the cliff because you actually have to walk up quite a few stairs to get there. So they can't actually even drive into the venue. Um, well, I mean, they probably could from some back entrance, but it's not like... They didn't know. They didn't yeah. know. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we eventually um, carry Hannah down to the sidewalk <laughs> and we're waiting for an ambulance and this moment is probably, like, in my mind, one of the hardest things to relive because it's the time where I actually realised, oh, my gosh, we're in a lot of trouble here. Um, so what happened was Hannah is unconscious. She's on the sidewalk. We're literally sitting on the curb. And so you're with the two French men? Yeah. How, how, were they young or old or? They were relatively young, but not too, like they were maybe in their thirties. Okay. You know, it's quite, it, the bar was quite a demographic of more business people. 
Um, and they helped you carry. Yeah, they both carried Hannah. Yeah, because I, I cannot course. carry her. Yes. Um, so they carried Hannah down to the sidewalk. We're sitting there, and the goal is just to wait for the ambulance, hail them down, and get on our merry way. And this was the moment where I realised that we were actually in danger, and this wasn't just a medical issue. Um, we were sitting on the sidewalk, and then this man who will forever be cemented in my mind came up to us and he was honestly the tallest person I've ever seen in my life. He looked like he, you know, played basketball. He was so incredibly tall um, and he was wearing a suit and he looked at me and there was a taxi pulled over on the side of the road with the door open and he came up to us and he said, that's my girlfriend. She's just really drunk. I need to take her home. And it's literally the line that you hear everywhere like people talking about, you know, being drugged and that's my girlfriend, I need to take her home. And he said that to you or to, yeah. the, two, to the three of you that were he, the two yeah. French guys and you? And yeah. was he referring to your sister or to you? He was talking about my sister. So he was pointing at Hannah saying, that's my girlfriend, I need to take her home. And I looked over and there was a taxi with the door open and I, the two French men looked at me like, you know, it, is it? Is this like your boyfriend? Like, are you okay now? And I looked at them and I I must have just fully panicked and I was like, that's not my like, no, my my sister has a husband back home in Australia. This is not this is no one, we don't know this person. And the Frenchmen in that moment were like, okay, no, like we know what's going on here. And as the ambulance pulled up to take Hannah, oh, the Frenchmen actually punched and like started to brawl this later to be known, Russian man. Um, How long was it between the... So when he pulled up this Russian man and asked to put your sister into his cab, yeah. What? how long was it between when the ambulance then came came around? Maybe like a couple of minutes. Like what I did you feel the, the time with? Because yeah. once you said no, yeah. what did he say? So this, this is what happened. So as soon as I said no, the Frenchmen started to, you know... Okay, so straight away. Straight, he, away yeah. straight away went into defence mode to protect Hannah and I, which I will forever be eternally mm-hmm. grateful for because I'm such a small female to go up against a large male. If those Frenchmen weren't there, like, he would have just grabbed her and there was nothing in my power I could have done to hold on to her, to, like, protect her. So these two Frenchmen were so incredibly, you know heroic in their actions Mm -hmm. and they actually you know started to brawl this Russian man and the ambulance came and then Hannah and I were scooped up into the ambulance and that's what I thought finally the doors are shut we're safe you know onwards like you must have been relieved when the ambulance pulled up did you know that it was like on a route that it would come soon or you were just hoping no I was just hoping Um, and so we get in the back of the ambulance and they don't really ask us any questions. They don't do a whole heap to help Hannah instantly. I think there's a lot of judgment around, you know, picking a girl up from a bar. She's wasted, you know, whatever it is, they kind of... What happened to the French guys? Yeah, I'll get to that. Oh, okay, okay. Like, this is, yeah, this is like a So you are both in the ambulance right now. You've driven away. And all you knew is that the French men were still there with the um, Russian man. And was the Russian man alone? Yes, he was alone. Just with the cab? Yeah. Just with was the there cab. a driver of the cab? Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. So I've driven off thinking, you know, they're in our past. That's really scary, but we're safe now. We're going to a hospital. Um, so we eventually get to this hospital and it honestly does not look like a hospital. It looked like some sort of makeshift vacant building. There was no one, like there was just no people in there. It was the weirdest thing. And so I remember going in and I was thinking, where are all the people? 
Like there's no reception desk. There's no, like there was just nothing. And there were no no patients in the rooms where Hannah and I were put. It was like we were put into this, you know, little bed, you know, with curtain around it. But there was no one else in the area being looked after or treated or cared for. Um, and Hannah was just chucked into this bed and they put a, you know, hospital band on her and they, they even put unknown on her wristband, which we've got a photo of. And they didn't ask her date of birth. They didn't ask her name. And it was just such a weird, surreal thing. So Hannah's sitting, you know, well, Hannah's still unconscious at this stage. She's laying in the bed and um, I am just trying to nurse her as best as I can. Mm -hmm. And so I put her on her side and she's, you know, somewhat coming lucid and she starts wailing at the top of her lungs Mm -hmm. because she's obviously, you know, trapped inside of her body in this moment. She's in a lot of pain. And she's just absolutely distressed in, you know, having no idea what's just happened to her. And so I'm trying to talk to her. I'm like, it's okay, Hannah. Like, it's fine. Like, you're at the hospital. Like, I've got you. And, you know, she starts vomiting up all of this black tar-like stuff. And I'm, you know, trying to clean her. There's no supplies around. And all I can hear over the microphone on the hospital is resuscitation in process. Please be patient. So they're obviously, like, you know, dealing with other things. We're just in the corner. There's no nurses, no doctors. No one has seen her at this stage. Anyway, that feels like a lifetime mm-hmm. of time just waiting in there trying to get someone to help her. But you still are hopeful because you're like, you know, we're in the hospital. Like, you know, someone's going to come and help us soon. She's going to be fine. And then, again, my safety blanket just fell to pieces and I was like, oh, my gosh, like what is going on now? So the police rock up and the police come into our little, you know, hospital bed room, whatever it is, and they say hi, um, you were a part of a public assault earlier in the evening. We need to take your statement. And I was sitting here going, okay, that's weird. So they actually take me out into a waiting room and I felt horrible leaving Hannah, but, you know, it's law enforcement. You're going to do what they say. Especially so, in another country because, yeah. yeah, the rules are just so different and you don't know. Okay, so you left yeah. the hospital. The, was was she in a room with curtains? Yeah, just curtains. Okay, so you're yeah. on the other side of the curtains or a completely no, different completely area? completely different area. Oh, my so goodness. So even, like, leaving and walking with two, like, you know, police in a different country, you kind of feel a bit, like, insecure. You're like, you know, the Australian police, you feel like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got mates who are, you know, cops and they're so lovely and they're friendly. These that were, like, so serious and so strict and, you know, we need to get your statement. And I'm here going, oh, my gosh, I'm just trying to, like, you know, gather myself from what's just happened. And I'm sitting in the um, in the waiting room taking the statement and I'm trying to explain to the um, the police that it wasn't a public assault. This man was trying to take my sister and my sister has been drugged and you really need to help us because I don't feel safe and no one's helping her in hospital here. And, you know, this is crazy that you're trying to talk to me about an assault which it wasn't an assault it was someone trying to save me anyway whilst I'm sitting there trying to give my statement the Russian man appears in the hospital and this is where my my whole like I feel like everything just sank inside of me and I just was like my I just couldn't cope with it in that moment so So you saw him I saw him yeah so you think you've like did you lock, lock eyes with him yep And he started lashing out at me. So in another language, started yelling at me. And he was cupping his mouth with um, like a cloth because he'd obviously been punched. You know, he was bleeding a lot and he verbally started attacking me. I have no idea what he was saying, 
but he was going crazy. And I remember the policemen were actually trying to hold him, trying to be like calming him down. It was very intense. And did the police speak English? They did. To you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They did speak English, but like very little. And when you told them the story that, no, I'm not a part of a public assault, I have my sister's been drugged and this man tried to take her. Yeah. Did they, were they surprised? Were they, no. was, it was just nothing. It was nothing. It was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh okay, we're talking goodness. about a public assault. It was like literally like just a blanket over their face being like, absolutely not. Like we're not talking about that. Whatever happened to you happened to you, but we're talking about a public assault. It was like chalk and cheese. There was nothing in between, no investigation, nothing. Anyways, this, you know, Russian man starts, you know, lashing out at me. I freak out and I'm like, what is going on? I still don't have a phone. My family back home had no idea what was happening. Earlier when we got to hospital, I was trying to ask, you know, the nurses, can I please, can I please, you know, call back home? I need to use a phone. I don't have a phone. And they just ignored me walking oh, away. You must have felt so alone. So incredibly alone. Um, and then there was a beautiful guy from America sitting in the waiting room and he could hear the distress in my voice and he came over to me and he said you can borrow my phone and I was like oh my gosh I was like thank you so much I get on the phone and I call my dad and you know the poor thing like your two daughters are overseas on a like a business trip you're not panicking about them you think they're completely fine and then here I am ringing my dad being like Hannah's in hospital she's been drugged I'm really scared um, and what can your family do from Australia anyway? Nothing. Yeah. Like there was very little in that moment mm. that dad could do. You know, in hindsight, you know, I've learned a lot from this experience and yes, there are things that my parents could do, but even in the moment them, they was, wouldn't have yeah, known. It's, no. Of course. But I, for you, did in talking to your family, did it make you feel like, because I, I can just, I mean, I don't know if this is how you felt, but I just imagine you would have felt like if you couldn't speak to anyone, you're in this foreign country to you the world is so big and yeah. you're in this like room by yourself in this hospital and nobody in your world knows that you are there no it's crazy so did telling your dad make you feel like okay at least someone knows where I, I am yeah I think I just burst out into yeah, tears I'd held it all in up until hearing my dad's voice and then obviously like I just bawled my eyes out on the phone to dad and he was like chicken what's wrong like you know what's going on and I was like, Hannah, like she's in hospital. And then he's like, you know, trying to get information out of me and I'm just hysterically crying. And yeah, so in that moment, it did feel, you know, like I had a connection back home, but then it's also a 10 hour flight away. So mm-hmm. even if my parents wanted to get on that plane, you know, instantly it was like they were at least, you know, a day away. Um, so yeah, my dad, eventually I kind of let him know what was going on. And he said, you are not safe there. He was like, you need to get out of there. Um, and this was, I was kind of like, what? This is not what I want to hear. Like, I want you to just be like, stay in the hospital. Like, you're fine. Like, reassure me. But my dad was like, if that man is in that hospital room with you and the police are not helping you, you need to get as far away as there as possible because, you know, he knows that you're there. You need to get somewhere where they don't know where you are, where you're staying, nothing. Where's Hannah at this point? So you're, you've got this man's phone. Yep. You'd spoken to the police, you'd seen the Russian man. Are you still in the area that the police brought you to? So yeah. your sister you haven't seen since you left her in the room? No, I just left her like praying that well, she would be fine. You, when I say you left, you had to leave yeah. when you departed the room. Yeah. And so by this time, I, you know, I've hung up from my dad and 
you know, there's no way my dad can call me back because we don't have any phones on us. Um, Hannah's bag was nowhere to be seen. This is another detail that, you know, when we left the bar, I have no idea where Hannah's bag went. Um, So I go back to Hannah. She's still in a really, really bad way. Um, And this is where, like, I have no idea how I managed to do this. But in that moment, I was like, okay, I'll put her into a wheelchair and I'll just get her out and we'll get into a taxi. I don't care how it has to happen. You know, there's a taxi rank right out the front. You know, I've just got to get her from A to B and then we're going to be okay. And was she awake at this point? She was like in and out of consciousness. And when she was conscious, she was, you know, still a dead weight. You know, she could maybe open her eyes, but she was completely paralysed. So just imagine she had no control over her arms or her legs and she was just, you know, maybe she could open her eyes a bit. And, you know, when she would, she would just start wailing. Um... So it was just incredibly traumatic. So I put her into this, you know, um, wheelchair and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I actually doing this right now? Wheeling her out of the hospital. No one bats an eyelid, you know, unknown is leaving the building. Who cares? They don't know who she is. Um, And I get her into the taxi and the, you know, taxi driver helps me. I'm like, can you please help me, you know, put her into the taxi. And then we get back to our hotel and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God. Um, You know, it's early hours in the morning by this stage and was anyone with the hotel you were staying at? Yeah. Was there people in the reception? Yeah. Okay, so there was someone there. You yeah. feel you feel safe. Well, yeah. even though it was late, it's like twenty four yeah. hour. Ca- okay. Yeah. Okay. And so there was this beautiful woman who, like, I feel like was like our Hong Kong mum, who was you know the receptionist at the hotel, and it was like this nurturing presence. She knew what had happened as soon as we got there in the taxi, and Hannah, you know, had fallen out of the taxi door pretty much and I'm yelling at them being like please come and help me you could just see she knew and you know we had been going in and out of the hotel she knew we weren't party girls she knew we were there on business and it was just like she she instantly knew that something was really wrong so she helps us get up to our hotel room and you know Hannah's gets put into the bed and we're meant to be flying out home the next day um and I remember ringing my dad from the hotel room being like we're back like we're safe it's all okay Hannah's still unconscious. She's literally laying in bed, just falling asleep constantly. Um, I don't know what to do. And dad said, you just have to get home. Like find your passports, get everything organised and we'll try and get you home. Um, Anyway, I go to try and find Hannah's passport in her, you know, in her bag. So, and I'm like, well, her bag's missing. Where's like, what, what do I do? And so I rang dad and I'm like, we need to, you know, find passports now to get home because Hannah's bag is missing. Um, and so that was just a drama in itself. And I was like, we're definitely not going to make the flight home. We don't have passports. There's no way. And then I just wanted to bore my eyes out. because Was, was like, your passport in her bag as well? No, I had mine. Okay. So that was all fine. But again, feeling, you need to go together. Yeah, yes. we need to go together. And feeling like we wanted to escape, but we couldn't was just the most awful feeling ever. Um, and then this is where it gets really, really weird. Um, one of the policemen who had taken my statement at the hospital, you obviously, when you give a statement overseas, you have to tell them where you're staying. Um, so that's just normality, you know, where, what's your address of staying here? So I, I gave them my address and then we're back at the hotel and the next day I get this banging on the door. And I'm like, what the heck? My heart's obviously So like, you're in the hotel room? Yeah, in the hotel room. And I'm guessing you're not on level one. So someone would have had to take the lift. Yeah. Yeah, but it turns out he didn't take the lift. So this is what the weirdest thing is. So he's banging on the door. I look through it and I'm like, okay, it's the police. I'll open the door. And he literally storms into the room. Hannah's 
laying on the bed. I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And he's puffing. He literally takes off his boots. It was the weirdest thing. Like I even sent my brother who's in the army in Australia photos of this guy being like, this is what's going on. Like this guy is sitting at our table puffing. He's taken his boots off. I've got no idea what's going on. He can barely speak English. And he looks at us and he goes, I'm not meant to be here. I just had to climb all of the stairs to get into this building, you know, because they wouldn't let me in at the reception, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Like I shouldn't have opened the door. But then he looked at us and he goes, the police here are extremely corrupt. And he said, your passport is at the police station. And he's like, I'm not meant to be here. I'm not meant to be telling you this. He's like, but your passport is at the police station and you need to come with me now. And I was just like, what? So I ring back home again. I'm like, the police are here. They're saying that, you know, he's off duty, but he's saying that the, the passport's down at the station, that the police are really corrupt and all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. If it's down at the station, we will wait till Hannah's better and we'll go down together. I'm not separating from her. Anyway, so I said, can you please leave? Like, I'm really uncomfortable, you know, leave. And he left and that was all fine. And then, you know, the next day, Hannah is somewhat okay and she's feeling it, like, she's obviously feeling horrible but she's feeling well enough to kind of stand up and walk around. And so we head down to the police station. And, you know, we walk in and we go up to the desk and the deputy, the guy who had come to the hotel room, starts getting yelled at like he's done something wrong and he gets ushered out the back. And I was just instantly like, this is so bizarre. And then we talk to the guy in charge and he's like, I said to him, look, last night, you know, this happened to my sister or whatever it was, like two nights ago, this happened to my sister and um, you have her passport. How do you have her passport? And he looked at me and I'll never forget this and it's like sickening to the stomach. I said, my sister was drugged, you know, this happened, you need to investigate it. He looked at me and he goes, many foreign women come to this country, get drunk and go home with strange men. And I was like... Are you, are you kidding me? I was like, no. I pulled out my sister's like photo of her and her husband. I was like, she's married. We are here on business. That is absolutely not what went on here. And he was like, I can't help you. And he just kept looking at me. Like, so they wouldn't give you, you. Did they even acknowledge that the passport was there? Or they said we don't have it. No, they did. They were like yelling at someone to go and get it, whatever. And turns out that the taxi driver, who the Russian, so the Russian man had pulled over the taxi with the door open. Her passport and her bag was in that car. So he had managed, whenever Hannah had collapsed, to grab oh her God. bag. Like, it's just... Oh, so God, I have goosebumps everywhere. Yeah. Grabbed her bag, put it in the taxi, and that had her passport and all of her information in it. And it, like, literally gives me chills to this day because the thought that went into it, like, the cal- how calculated it all was... He had her passport. You know, she's a beautiful, beautiful blonde female. And I just, yeah, it sickens me. And so the passport was obviously, you know, useless to him. So he left it in the taxi and the taxi driver actually handed it in to the police station. Um, And so whilst we're at the police station, these two young French women come up to us and they said, are you the girls from the, the club the other night? And we're like, what the heck? Yeah, we are. And they said, our boyfriends are in custody still because of the public assault. And we were like, what? 
And they're like, yeah, they, they're here, they're being held, like we can't get home. There's, you know, they're denying them any like rights. They're, they're just saying that they assaulted someone. Can you help us? And I was just here being like, I have no idea what to do. I've told my part, you know, thank you so much if it wasn't for your, you know, friends, whether they're boyfriends or friends, who knows? Like, you know, my sister would have been taken and what they've done is so incredibly heroic but to this day, I have no idea who those guys were. I have no idea where they ended up, you know, if they were allowed to leave or if they got an incredibly high bill. I've got no idea, but it was just so, like, I was so grateful. But at the same time, you could see that, like, they were now suffering. And it was just so horrible. Um, and so, yeah, we got Hannah's passport and we got the heck out of there. It was insane. So... That is a huge story, but it's, yeah, it's incredibly horrific and something that I could not even imagine anyone would go through, let alone us. It's, to me, listening to it, I felt like I was watching like a movie or reading a book that wasn't true. Yeah, 100%. But it actually happened. Yeah, I sent Hannah a message this morning because obviously I've suppressed a lot of you know, the memories that go along with this, you know, she was unconscious to her. It was, you know, horrible, but to me, I lived lived the experience and, you know, I've got the visions in my head. I've got her laying on the ground, you know, foaming at the mouth. I've got the Russian man trying to attack us, trying to take her. It was honestly, those memories are something that I've, it's taken five years pretty much for me to like come to terms with the fact that that happened to me. And I messaged Hannah this morning and I said, I'm just rereading my post that I did a while ago on Instagram about the story and part of me just thinks it's not even real because I'm like, it sounds so surreal, it sounds like a movie Mm. and I'm like, how did that happen to us? Like, it just, yeah, I can't even relate to it and yet it happened to me. Oh, thank you so much for for sharing that and I I mean, obviously, in you telling this to and sharing your story, you have to revisit all the trauma so you're Mm. so generous in doing it. How did you know it was – did you ever find out, like, yeah. that that man was a human trafficker? Yeah, so we didn't find out because obviously we got no help from the law enforcement. We tried to contact the venue to say, can you get us footage? They refused. Um, they are extremely corrupt in themselves. I would say that the bar staff at the venue were in on it and, you know, from the moment we walked in we were probably targeted – Um, as I said, Hannah is an incredibly striking, beautiful girl and it's no doubt that she would have, you know, naturally had a lot of eyes on her and that's really sad that, you know, that comes with all of that. But we didn't find out who it was or, you know, anything behind it. But when we did get home, Hannah went to the doctor and she had all her bloods taken and it was found that she was given a lethal dose of ketamine. Um, Had it been me and my body size, I probably would have died. So it's just... Yeah, it's just horrific. So the dosage that she had in her system was like so much that it just caused so much toxicity. And with that, so was their goal in giving that ketamine? Is that why, did the doctor speak about why they used that drug? Is that the drug that put, paralyzes you for two days, but then after that? Yep. So it's pretty you much. You usually wake up? Yeah, it's pretty much. I mean, ketamine, you know, it depends how much your body's given. Um, it's a sedative, I guess. And so, yeah, she, they, they do it in a sense that, I mean, they're not experts, they're not doctors. They have no idea how much the proper dosage is, but they've just got one goal in mind and that's to, you know, put you in a super vulnerable state to do whatever they want with you. And 
yeah, it was no, there was no doubt about it. It wasn't just like a date rape situation. They had her passport. It was definitely, you know, all incredibly calculated to get her out of there. And Hong Kong just happens to be, you know, a city surrounded by water. And since getting back and reading more on it, and, you know, not to say that Hong Kong's not a beautiful city, you know, this happens everywhere in the world, but, you know, you can get put on a boat and never seen again. So, you know, you know, it's like they had her passport as well. So what's to say they didn't threaten her and just put her on a plane because, you know, they had her, they had her um, passport. So, yeah, there was no doubt about it that it was definitely a human trafficking effort. Um, and, yeah, it's horrific. That bar now that we've done some research on it has had some really dodgy stuff happen around it. And, yeah, I, I feel even too scared to even mention what the bar's name is. Um, because the association of people, of corrupt people, with that bar is, like, incredibly scary. And that's another reason for a really long time, like, you know, I wanted to come home and be like, this is where it is, you know, don't go here, you know, all of this stuff. And then I was like, no, that's actually really scary. Like, there are really, really bad people um, associated with this place. So, yeah, it's just full on. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I'm also so grateful. I'm not a big believer in, I don't know, science from above. I, I don't know. I, I'm yeah. kind of <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I feel indifferent about yeah. it. But whatever told you not to drink yeah. that drink, just yeah. to think that, oh, Incredible. it's just. Yeah. It's actually. Because if you hadn't. Yeah. Or if you had had have drunk it. Yeah. I know I, it would have I been know. completely different it would have been and to this day I sometimes I have this overwhelming like you know thing take over my body where I think Hannah could have literally never been seen again the both of us could never have been seen again we would have been you know that those two girls on the news back in in Australia that's like you know young girls go to Hong Kong for a business trip and never seen again mm-hmm. and that happens every single day someone is trafficked every 30 seconds Every 30 seconds. I mean, in Australia, it's obviously a kind of an issue in our media, obviously, when there's white women or white people that are going missing. We see a lot about it, but obviously in other countries, it happens. So every 30 seconds. Every 30 seconds. Oh, my God. So it's a multi-billion dollar industry, human trafficking. And, you know, this is something that's, you know, Hannah and I already had aligned with Be Her Freedom, um, maybe in 2014, so this is two years into our work with Be Her Freedom and, yeah, we, you know, we were passionate about it and human trafficking sounded like an issue so far away from us and, you know, we thought, oh, okay, like, you know, children in third world countries, they're trafficked, you know, women over there, they have to, you know, be sold to pay off debts or whatever it is. That's, that felt so far away to us. It felt so foreign. You know, we want to help them but we also can't relate to them at the same time. You know, we're so incredibly blessed to be in Australia. Um, but... Yeah, when it happened to Hannah and I, we came home and we were like, we like we align with Be Her Freedom. Hannah's on the board of Be Her Freedom. How, like, Francesca has donated so much money to anti-human trafficking. How has this possibly happened to us? Like, and that's the thing that, you know, nothing we did, you know, in that moment could have changed. But going forward, it's given us this incredible passion to, you know, push forward in creating awareness. And this is why, you know, however long you know it's been I'm now happy to talk about it because I had to do my own healing Mm -hmm. around all of that but now it's just so incredibly important to us to spread awareness and spread awareness to all of the 
young women and men, it happens to men as well, um, you know, out there in the world that there are just certain measures you need to take when you're going overseas these days. And also, you know, spreading awareness for Be Her Freedom who are dealing with, you know, countries in the world where this is just a part of the norm. Yeah, it's incredibly heartbreaking. And for, I mean, obviously now we're coming into, we've been in COVID for quite a while and we haven't been out of travel. And so a lot of people are starting to travel. Yeah. What, what do you say to, because I mean, in listening to your story, you didn't go to the toilet and leave your drink on the bench and come back. Because that's the thing that, you know, when you, when you kind of start going out, it's like the thing that your parents will say to you, it's like, do not leave your drink (laughs) unattended. But you didn't leave your drink unattended. So what are the things that for people that are traveling to, to like watch out for, or, you know, to keep safe? And that's the thing, like, I've always had that drilled into my mind as well. It's like, you know, don't accept drinks off strangers. Don't leave your drink unattended. You didn't do any of that. I didn't do any of that. So I'm sitting here being like, how the hell has this happened to us? Like, what is going on? And on reflection, you know, I remember getting back and sitting down with all of my girlfriends, you know, we're all 21. And I was like, guys, like, you need to listen to this. And I know that it's probably not going to really sink in for you because you haven't been through this. But I need to tell you, like, I know a group of my girlfriends were going off to Thailand, you know, maybe in a month. And I was thinking they're going to be going to like these beach parties. They're going to be going crazy and like good on them. Like you should be able to without fear. But I was also like, there are things that you guys need to know. And so, yeah, number one was like always watch your drink get poured no matter where you are. Did you, you did you say your drink get poured? No, no. So was it the way the bar was set up? I or mean, was it just, I mean, obviously I have, unless I'm at a restaurant and like if I order a yeah. cocktail, I'm like, oh, I wonder like how yeah. they make that because I can never make it like that at home. Yeah. <laughs> unless that's the case, you would, you'd be looking around, you know, you're, you're in this. So at the bar you went to, was it that they made it in a hidden place? Or? Well, I mean, there were multiple bars within this venue, but I do remember the one that I'd got this particular drink from. Like I am not drunk at this point, by the way. Like I was like one, two drinks in, like very much lucid. But, yeah, I remember on the left-hand side, it was kind of like a curved corner bar. And, you know, bars are busy places. You can't exactly stand there whilst you're waiting for a drink and, like, eyeing down the drink and what's going on. But, yeah, my number one advice would be to, like, watch your drink get poured. You know, if you can't watch it get poured, don't drink it, you know. It's not worth it. It's not worth going through what we went through. Um, My other advice is, you know, as soon as you land in a foreign country, find out how you call an ambulance or the police, or whoever it is so that you need. True. And I never do that. Like, I can't believe every... Like, and I'm... Hannah and I are really well-travelled. We've, you know, travelled all over the world. It's second nature to us. And I can't believe that every single time I've been overseas, I've never looked into the number to call in an emergency. So that 100% on speed dial, in your favourites whilst you're away, I would do that. Oh, that's, that's such good advice. I think if, if I think of, I mean, obviously the only other one I know is America because of movies. Nine, yeah, it is 911, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but that, that's such good advice. Yeah. Um, and then as well, you know, figure out in the unlikely event you need to go to a hospital, which hospital you would like to be taken to because I certainly was not taken to like the international hospital Um it was this dingy makeshift place that, you know, was just the closest thing. And had I had been prepared, I would have said, no, 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 like we've got insurance, like you need to take us here, take us to somewhere like, you know, safe. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of different, you know, tools and advice Mm -hmm. in hindsight that I could look back at and be like, wow, things could have been really different for me had I been prepared. 
But I think in telling your story, which is it's it's so generous of you to to revisit all of this, and yeah, we're, we're so grateful that that you're sharing this with us today. And for for everyone listening, I I just think it's so important because you've now empowered you know the kind of twenty thirty thousand people that listen to this podcast with that information. So now they know. So thank yeah. you so much for doing that. No, I'm so grateful to you know that you've given me the platform to talk to because. Yeah, for a long time, it has been this little niggle in the back of my mind where I'm like, more people need to know about this. Mm. You know, it's not spoken about enough. And human trafficking is never spoken about. It's not in our news. It's not anywhere. It's like this undercover billion-dollar industry that is incredibly corrupt. And, yeah, if I can shed light on it, if Francesca can shed light on it through our collection, you know, and raise money to, you know, rescue women and children from slavery overseas... It's going to be at the heart of what we do forever. Oh, well, th- thank you so much. And we'll put a link in the show notes of for, to buy the – is yeah. it the bracelet? So it's a necklace. necklace. It's beautiful and 100%. It's not just like the profit. It's not anything. It's 100% of the purchase price that you buy goes directly towards Be Her Freedom. And That's they amazing. have set up rescue centres for children and women overseas. They're doing incredible things like um, creating jobs for them overseas in sewing centres. So they've like built sewing centres so that these women don't have to, you know, lean into the dark side just to feed their children, you know. Um, And yeah, going into rescuing under, I think that they've got a centre that's just for children under 11 who have been um, saved from human trafficking. Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying. And and do you have before before yeah? So we'll put the link in the show notes to the necklace. Yes. Um, and before we finish, do you have anything else that you'd like to say to everyone? Um. Oh gosh, I don't know. Just you know, take it seriously. My story might seem fictional. It might seem like no, you but know, it's a not. Movie. It's your story. It, yeah, it's my story. And I just hope that you know everyone listening does take it to heart and actually remembers it. Have an amazing holiday overseas. Have the best time of your lives. Don't be fearful, you know, just being equipped and being wise and have your wits about you will keep you safe. Um, And it's just, you know, taking those little extra measures now that, you know, unfortunately we have to do, but it'll keep you a lot safer. Oh, well, thank you so, so, so much for your time, Rachel. We appreciate it so much and, and for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening and as Laura said at the start of the episode, thank you so much to Rachel for coming on and sharing your story. If you would like to find out more about what Francesca are doing, you can head to our show notes. We've got all of the information there. We'll be back in your ears next week and you can find out more about Keeper Cleaner www.keepercleaner.com or you can find our app on the App Store or Google Play and of course we're on Instagram at keepercleaner at laura.henshaw and at Steph Smith, and we're also on TikTok <laughs> slowly growing our following thank you so much for listening guys bye, bye.